Chapter Twenty One of True Tales of Arctic Heroism in the New World. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Betty B. True Tales of Arctic Heroism in the New World by Adolphus W. Greeley. The Wifely Heroism of Murtuk, the Daughter of Shung Hu deeper devotion nowhere hath knelt fuller emotion heart never felt goethe dwight's translation rarely if ever has there been recorded in history a more varied and adventurous life than that of murtuk wife of hans hendrik who came into literature through the magical pen of elisha kent kane as the pretty daughter of shung hu an etah eskimo she was born and reared as a veritable child of the ice being one of the members of the northernmost tribe of the world a people in the last century of absorbing interest as a surviving offshoot of the stone age murtuk married hans hendrik an eskimo of moravian faith from danish west greenland who was practically a deserter from cain this northern idol was the reverse of ruth of the bible since for the sake of murtuk hans abandoned his family and his country willingly separating himself from the comforts and certainties of civilized life for the vicissitudes and inconveniences of an archaic environment despite a lovely wife hans soon discovered the wretched discomforts and unwelcome methods of life on the etah coast where hunger and physical sufferings were not infrequent attendants on even the most skillful and active hunter when the polar expedition of dr isaac i hayes touched in eighteen sixty at cape york hans joined the doctor's forces taking his wife and child with him next year they emigrated to danish greenland when hayes sailed south ten years later hans with murtuk and three children joined hall's north polar expedition which made a ship's record for the world at thank god harbor was born murtuk's youngest child charles polaris nearer the pole than any other known infant with undaunted courage and uncomplaining fortitude she endured with her four children one a babe of three months the fearful vicissitudes of the polaris drift set forth in another sketch the marvellous ice drift of captain tyson carrying her babe in her sealskin hood while dragging a heavy sledge over rough ice with quiet dignity in keeping with her cool equanimity and her unblanching acceptance of hardships in the white north murtuk accepted the extraordinary experiences incident to temporary life in the great emporium of american civilization new york city which she was the first of her tribe to visit returning to danish greenland with her children she then passed the rest of her less eventful life busy and happy in the domestic duties pertaining to her family and to her Inuit neighbors. The incident of Murtuk's wifely heroism, herein told in detail, is drawn from an unpublished diary of Mr. Henry W. Dodge, mate of the schooner United States, then wintering under Dr. Hayes at Port Falk. The sketch of the childhood of this heroic and interesting woman is based on various passages of explorers and writers familiar with the incidents of Etah life among the forceful and friendly natives of etah sixty years since in the days of cain was shung hu 
famed equally for his qualities as a man and for his daring as a mighty hunter he especially displayed his skill in the successful pursuit of the polar bear whether on land along the coast on the fast ice under the frowning snow cliffs of humboldt glacier or on the moving ice floes of smith's sound apart from his alert action and dignified bearing his person was notable through his ample whiskers on chin and on lips which age and exposure had already softened by their silvery coloring indeed he was the only full-bearded native in the nation as is related by hayes whose distressed and starving boat party was only able in the last extremity to reach the advance through the aid of the Angkok Klatuna and his comrade Sheng Hu. Among the much-loved children of Sheng Hu was a daughter, Murtuk, whose mother's name is unknown, but she doubtless had that deep affection and tender care for her daughter, which are common traits of these iron women of the Etah coast. Nature and necessity had made the family lead a life of constant wandering, and so the child shared the seasonal and oft irregular journeys along the shut-in narrow coastland between the great humboldt glacier and the sea-beaten cliffs of cape york it was always a journey for food birds and bears deer and seals walruses and narwhals as time and good fortune dictated carried by her mother little murtuck travelled in true native fashion thrust naked and feet foremost into the back part of the ample sealskin hood there she rode in warmth and comfort safely seated astride of a soft rounded walrus thong which passed under the arms of the mother and was made fast around her neck murtuck thus grew and throve happy and healthy under conditions which to boys and girls of our own country would have seemed impossible of endurance sometimes the tiny child would be thrust out in a temperature in which mercury would freeze solid and with laughter felt the biting stimulating cold that only made the hood more welcome as a home nest it was the way of the wild which must be followed in this country of sunless winters and of blinding blizzards which every brave inuit loved to this eskimo maiden the whole world was made up of a few score men women and children of the igloos of a dozen kinds of birds in the air and on the cliffs of white hares bluish foxes and reddish deer on land of smooth seals white whales horned norwals and big tusk walruses in the sea and last but by no means least the enormous amphibious sharp-clawed bear whose glistening yellowish-white skin furnished material for the furry garments in which her father shung hu was always clothed at an early age murtuck came to know the living creatures which were the sources of food and the means of life she could tell the seasonal time in which came and went the wild fowl of their breeding and of their young the haunts and habits of the swift-footed animals of the glacier-enclosed land were all known to her as well as the favorite resorts of the monsters of the bordering icy ocean which furnished the hides and bones the sinew and ivory without which there would be neither needles and thread for the igloo nor lances and sledges for the hunter it was a land of meat and flesh in which she lived with no bread or vegetables and the taste of sugar and of tea the flavor of salt and of pepper were absent from her food she knew not books matches firearms boats stoves crockery nor cloth whether of cotton or fiber of silk or wool it was a land without wood 
iron, medicines, or stimulants, and equally without government, schools, churches, hospitals, or even houses, unless one could so name the stone huts, the skin tents, or the transient snow igloos. Her mother early taught her all the kinds of women's work which could make her useful to her tribe or to her family, and without doubt instilled in her a sense of some of the feminine graces which have softened the harshness of the world in all climes and in every country throughout the ages. Here they were a part of the life of the Stone Age, which the Etahs had inherited untainted by the outside world. The daughter's supple fingers soon braided evenly and closely the sinews of the narwhal into the tense and needful bowstrings, for Shung Hu hunted reindeer with bow and arrows. Her strong hands tightly stretched the drying sealskin, through which later her bone needles and sinew thread were so skillfully plied that the skin broke before the seams gave way. With deft action and with an unwanted taste, she so shaped her bird-skin clothing and blue fox hoods as to win praise for her garments from men and women alike. Her skill with the lamp soon became equal to that of the oldest expert of the tribe. Choosing and drying the long moss best suited for wicks, she applied a bit of walrus fat to the moss threads and twisted them into a dense, even roll. While other lamps gave forth volumes of smoke, Murtuck so skillfully trimmed the lighted moss wick that it gave an equal steady flame along the edge of the kudlik, pot stone lamp. An adept in all women's work, always in health, gay, witty, and even-tempered, Murtuck came also to be a comely maiden, well-formed in figure, fair of face, though very tiny in stature. But even in this land of Eskimo plenty, there come seasons of dire distress, when famine stalks abroad and slow starvation strikes down the weaklings of the tribe. In such a time of want and hunger, Hans Hendrik came to the Etah tribe to aid the half-famished folk in the hunt of the walrus, then needed to save from lingering death the sick men of Cain's ship, as well as the strong people with Kalatuna and Shung Hu. Murtuk had watched from a distance this wonderful youth, who spoke Inuit queerly to the sly amusement of the listening Etahs. But he carried a long, strange weapon, fire-flashing, ear-splitting, and death-dealing, that killed a bear or a walrus at great and unheard-of distances. In the brief intervals of the urgent hunt, he came to Shung Hu's igloo to sleep, to eat their scant fare, and to feed his wolfish dogs, which were ever fighting with those of Shung Hu. The hunt was fast and furious, and with such success that steaks and liver, walrus skin and rich blubber, were again in plenty. Of the joyous feast after this particular hunt, in which Murtuk partook with other famishing Etahs, Cain quotes Hans Hendrik, an exact and truthful man, as saying, Even the children ate all night. You, Cain, know the little two-year-old, Awiu, possibly the mother of Murtuk, carried in her hood, the one that bit you when you tickled her. That baby cut for herself with a knife made out of an iron hoop, and so heavy that she could hardly lift it, cut and ate, ate and cut, as long as I looked at her. She ate a sea-pack, the Eskimo name for the lump which is cut off close to the lips of the eater, as large as her own head. Three hours afterward, when I went to bed, the baby was cutting off another lump and eating still. The work of the hunt proved too strenuous for the Danish Greenlander, and finally Hans was worn out by exposure and fatigue, 
while he fell sick from cold and wet. In this condition he sought the breek of Shung Hu's igloo for rest until he gained strength to enable him to return to Kane, to whom he had sent walrus meat. The care of the strange Inuit fell on Murtuk. Prompt and gentle in her ministrations and attentions, jovial in her speech, and witty in conversation, she soon ensnared the heart of Hans. Indeed, from all accounts, she had that peculiar winning bashfulness that is so attractive amongst certain of the children of nature. Besides her tasteful dress, she had a sense of order and of cleanliness, not always found among the Etahs. She not only kept her long raven-black hair unmatted, but had also gathered her tresses into a tuft on the top of her head, where it was fastened by a finely embroidered sealskin strap. This gave her a semblance of size and height quite needed, for she was only a trifle over four feet tall. Hans soon took careful notice of his nurse, who talked with overflowing mirth, while her busy fingers, in the intervals of personal service, unceasingly plaited the tough sinew thread with which arrowheads are secured or other hunting implements perfected. Deft and quick, busy with work, careful of her little brothers, she seemed to be the maiden suited to his taste, although the claims of other women were presented to him during his stay. Before he was strong, he had asked that she should become his wife. Most of her maiden comrades had sobbed and lamented when the time came for them to change the carefree, petted, and joyous child life for the onerous duties of an Etah matron. But Murtuk's heart glowed with happy feelings, and she sang with joy when the great Eskimo hunter, who had killed three of the five great walruses, asked that she should be his wife. Kane relates the story of the courtship as follows. Hans, the kind son and ardent lover of Fiskernays, has been missing for nearly two months. I am loath to tell the tale as I believe it, for it may not be the true one at all, and I would not intimate an unwarranted doubt of the consistency of boyish love. Before my April hunt, Hans, with long face, asked permission to visit Petaterovic, as he had no boots and wanted to lay in a stock of walrus hide for souls. I consented. He has not returned with the stories of him that come from Etah, were the theme of much conversation and surmise. He had given Nessark's wife an order for a pair of boots, and then wended his way to Peteravik, the halting place, where Shung Hu and his pretty daughter had their home. This explanation was given by the natives with many an explanatory grin, for Hans was a favorite with all, and as a match one of the greatest men of the country. The story was everywhere the same. Hans the faithful, yet I fear the faithless, was last seen upon a native sledge, driving south from Peterovic with a maiden at his side, and professedly bound for a new principality at Uwaro, high up Murchison Sound. Alas, for Hans the married man, lover as he was, and Nalagak, chief, by the all hail hereafter, joy go with him, for he was a right good fellow. Though Hans said that his mother-in-law, had always behaved to me like a tender mother, and that the amiability of these unbaptized people is to be wondered at. Yet life went hard with the married couple among the unchristened natives of the north. Touching at Cape York in 1860, Dr. Hayes found Hans and his wife living there. Of their quarters, Dodge, in his unpublished journal, says, Their shelter was a seal-skin tent, six by eight feet in size and six feet high, 
in which lived Hans, Murtuck, the baby, and the mother-in-law. The breek of large stones took up, with the bedding, two-thirds of the space, leaving scant room for the cooking utensils. A small stone pot hung above the blubber-fed stone lamp. He continues, Murtuck was with him, having at her back a baby not a year old. I must admit that Hans would not have been inexcusable for being allured by a pair of black eyes to cast in his lot with the roving tribes of the north. She is by far the handsomest native woman that we have yet seen, being much prettier than any woman of the mixed races of Danish Greenland. She is very small but is finely featured and has hands and feet as delicate as a child's. Notwithstanding the general harshness of the Etah language, her voice is quite musical and she has the most gleeful, ringing, bell-like laugh that I have ever heard. Taking his wife and babe along, Hans joined the expedition of Dr. Hayes as hunter. In midwinter, as elsewhere related in Sontag's fatal sledge journey, Hans went south as dog driver with the astronomer to buy dogs for the sledge journeys of the coming spring. After a month, Dr. Hayes, becoming greatly alarmed at their protracted absence, decided to send Dodge, the mate, south to trace the missing men. But deep as may have been the anxiety of Hayes for Sontag, it did not equal the anguish of Murtuk's soul as to the fate of her loved Hans. The theory that the people of the Stone Age are purely animals, struggling only for food, for clothing, and for shelter, finds no support in the conduct of this tiny, ignorant, heathen woman, whose heart was filled with ideals of love and of duty. Living under conditions of ease and luxury, far surpassing anything of which Murtuk's mind had before been capable of imagining, this tiny, uncivilized woman resolved to quit her abode of warmth and light for piercing cold and utter darkness, to abandon her abundant food and comfortable berth for a chance bit of frozen seal meat and a snow igloo, and for what reason? To find a missing husband, in search of whom a party was to take the field. To non-polar people, no words can convey an adequate idea of the dangers to be met, of the privations to be endured. It was a period of sunless days. The sun had been gone for more than a month. In the excessive cold of midwinter, at the season of fearful blizzards, along an uninhabited stretch of coast of utter desolation, in following which one must pass the dreaded Cape Alexander, either on the outer moving ice pack or along the treacherous ice foot at the base of its precipitous cliffs. And no one knew better than Murtuk the misery and hardships, the sufferings and perils which must be faced on such a journey. The tale of this woman's heroic resolution is thus told in his journal by Dodge, whom Hayes sent south to trace Sontag's trail. Here, let me introduce a little episode which might be useful to poets and novelists as an example of woman's constancy and devotion, showing perhaps that the true woman's heart beats the same in all ages, countries, and climes. It reveals itself equally strong in a Gertrude watching the live-long night beneath a scaffold, and in a simple, untutored savage going out alone under the shadow of an arctic night, carrying a child upon her back, and looking for a lost husband. Mrs. Hans Murtuk had discovered by some means that a searching party was being organized to discover the fate of the missing men. Being fearful that she would be detained if her intentions were known, she left the vessel an hour in advance of us 
hoping that she would be allowed to keep on when she should be overtaken this information was not pleasant for me as those best acquainted with eskimo character felt sure that she would not turn back unless forcibly compelled to do so her intention was not suspected however and it was not until i was on the point of starting that one of the eskimo told jansen the dane that murtuck had gone in search of her husband when we were on our way two and a half miles from the ship i discovered some distance ahead a little form plodding through the snow which i knew must be mrs hans in half an hour more we had overtaken her and i must admit that it was an affecting sight to look upon this little woman barely four feet tall with her child only a year old on her back murtuck plodded bravely along through the snow into which she sank knee-deep at almost every step impressed with the idea that the dearest one on earth to her was somewhere in the vast desolation before her and fired with the feeling that she must find him or perish too as my companion christian peterson the dane could make her understand him i told him to tell her that she could not go on but must go back while we would go on and look for hans explaining the reasons for her return but to all his arguments murtuck simply said that she must find hans or die and resolutely she set her face toward the south while christian talked to her i stood by leaning on my rifle awaiting anxiously the result of a discussion that i could not understand except as i read the woman's face we could not spare the time to go back with her she could not accompany us for our pace was too rapid for her and besides we must not be delayed in our mission if she followed us she would be soon worn out with fatigue carrying her child through the soft deep snow and if she sat down to rest her fate was certain when overcome by sleep or through exhaustion when peterson said that he could do nothing with her as she obstinately declared that she was going on for her husband dodge greatly disturbed was perplexed as to what action he should take fortunately there came to his mind a thought kindred to that so forcefully and beautifully expressed by tennyson in his lines home they brought her warrior dead and he continues finding that christian's arguments were likely to prove unavailing i stepped up to murtuck lifted up a corner of the reindeer skin that she had thrown over her sealskin hood and pointed to the tiny baby who was sleeping quietly and said in english if you go on the child will die she could not understand my words which the dane did not translate but something in her heart must have disclosed their meaning for the first time she showed signs of irresolution and her eyes filled with tears carefully covering the child's face i brushed from the mother's hair and eyebrows the frost feathers that had already formed through the awful cold looking steadily into her eyes and talking in a low firm voice i told her that i would look faithfully for hans and bring him back to her if he could be found i shall never forget the expression of her countenance the moonbeam streaming down on her eager upturned face her lips were slightly parted and her whole soul seemed to be shining through her expressive eyes which were fastened fixedly on mine when i ceased speaking she answered talking in an eager impassioned strain which made her meaning plain enough though her speech was in an unknown tongue finally she pointed to the south and said that she would go on but the trembling tones of her voice did not show the same firmness as it had done before christian would have interpreted but it was unnecessary the woman and i understood one another and i felt that the victory was won 
again i spoke to her in the same tone as before and as she listened her eyes were once more dimmed by tears i was sure that her determination was wavering now pointing first to the child and then in the direction of the ship i told her that she must go back though she felt my meaning she stood for a moment most resolute in her attitude gazing intently into my eyes until she must have seen something forbidding in my unrelenting face dodge later writes to fully appreciate the impressive effect of this most dramatic incident the conditions under which it occurred should be remembered we were far out of sight of the ship were some distance offshore on the main ice pack of smith sound the moon was shedding a dim ghost-like glare upon us and it was the coldest day of the winter the thermometer indicating seventy-five degrees below the freezing point he humorously adds regarding his forceful language in ordering murtuck back to the ship i will not swear that the vigorous words froze as they came from my mouth but after i finished there were pendant icicles an inch long to my whiskers and mustache as to murtuck orders arguments and requests whether in pantomime english or in danish eskimo dialect would have utterly failed of effect had she not been stirred by frequent allusions to her baby hans child who must be saved from danger of death to the mother cold hunger and privations were as naught long and bitter was the conflict in murtuck's heart between her motherly affection and her wifely devotion should she do alone her duty to her infant or should she put the child's life aside in her arctic quest for her missing hunter husband to the last her heart was undecided now she turned to the north taking a few steps toward the ship then she flew hard on the trail after the searching party which had now moved onward finally with a gesture as of despair at adverse and inexorable fate she slowly took up her lonely march back to the ship where food warmth and shelter awaited at least the child of hans on shipboard murtuck did not cease to bewail her weakness in returning from the search until the very day when hans who by no means hastened his return came back to fill her heart with that sweet content which was absolutely ensured by his presence alone by modern standards this woman of the stone age was low in the scale of humanity uncouth ignorant a heathen and even brutish in a way this tale of an inuit girl is however but a loose leaf from the history of woman which indicates that the spirit of altruistic devotion is an attribute implanted by god in the primitive races and not as some would fain have us believe the golden fruit of developed humanity a century since an american poet paid due homage to a beautiful belle who later became his wife in verse that aptly depicts the lovable traits of murtuck the daughter of shung hu affections are as thoughts to her the measures of her heart her feelings have the fragrancy the freshness of the flowers end of chapter twenty one end of true tales of arctic heroism in the new world by adolphus w greeley